0: While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was greatly upset because he saw the city was full of idols. So he was addressing the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue and in the marketplace every day, those who happened to be there. Also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were asking, what does this foolish babbler want to say? Others were saying, Oh, he uh, seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. They said this because he was proclaiming the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took Paul and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what these new teachings is that you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some upsetting, surprising things to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there used to spend their time in nothing else than telling or listening to something new. So, Paul stood before the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For when I went around and observed closely your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, (laughs) What you worship without knowing it, this I am proclaiming to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in these temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life and breath and everything to everyone. From one man, he made every nation in the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they should live, so that they, may f- so that they would search for God and per- perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your own prophets have sa- poets have said, for we too are his offspring. So, since we are God's offspring, we should not think the deity is like gold or silver or stone or images made by human skill and imagination. Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom is designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, now when they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to scoff. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul left the Areopagus. But some people joined him and believed. And among them were uh, Dionysus, Dionysus, who was a member of the Areopagus, a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the bold words that you spoke through our brother Paul as he stood before this council in such a, a, a spiritually dark city, Lord Jesus. And uh, God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us powerfully here this morning. God, that your words would leap off the page, that they would stir in our, stir in our spirits, and God, that they would they would, they would uh, just inspire and, and drive us to change and drive us to inspiration to see you as you truly are, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And Lord, we just pray that you would open up our ears to hear what you have for us here this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you guys have any smart friends Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, well those, those those smart friends hey we we know the nerdy friends right the guys who like anything that that comes out of their mouth you're like excuse me can you speak that but in stupid person is, is there a is there a that for dummies for me <laughs> Like I feel like this this weekend, uh, one of the things that uh, that we talked about was intimidation. You guys were talking about it yesterday, and uh, Daniel during rehearsals was like, guys, I'm intimidated. You know, <laughs> like even like Daniel, like he was like sitting there and just like having this, you know, being in people's presence who are just brilliant or in- and intelligent. And sometimes I'm like, I just need to bring my dictionary. Like this is good stuff, but man, I'm, phew, like half of it's going over my head and like that's kind of like the YTI guys that you know, hosted our dinner like sometimes hanging out with them like with Brett and Jay and they're like you know current on all the the newest kind of theological conversations and things like that and sometimes I'm like ah okay sounds cool but I need I'll probably need to google that later you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh I feel, sometimes maybe people feel that that way about me but uh but, I mean, there's even like getting into the in, into the presence of people who like musically are just like, man, I, was, I wish I had like n- just a fraction of your understanding. Uh, like watching Daniel work on his Ableton and like putting things together and working in the room with him. Like it's like, whoa, like just mind blowing. Then like the stuff we're talking about and like the things that you guys know about worship writing and music theory and like watching you guys write together yesterday, you know, like just seeing the back and forth and just like, man, just the creative juices that are flowing and we see people maybe in our areas, areas of life that we see like, wow, they're like the guru. Or like these, these people are amazing. Like I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the Inklings were meeting. The meetings of like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and their their poet and, and literature buddies hanging out together. Just be, just soaking in the, the the philosophy and the conversation and the, the doctrine, the theology and the biblical understandings and You know, it's just this amazing people to be around. You feel like you're benefiting, but you're also super lost at the same time, you know. But we also kind of may may know those people that are very intelligent and they want to make sure that everyone knows it and that everyone knows that they're beneath them. And they, they put themselves up on these high horses above all people and say, our thoughts are what should be true. Our opinions, our think tank that's put this stuff together should have a sway over everything in our society or in our church or in this or in our business or whatever it is. Like we get these little pockets of arrogance and intelligence. Because what does the Bible even say? Knowledge what? Puffs up. But love builds up. And so in our passage here this morning, I want us to focus on this main thought is that knowledge is not power. Faith is power knowledge is beneficial has good stuff but oh make sure the little croy's not on top of that <laughs> <laughs> but you know that knowledge is good knowledge is beneficial but unless it leads us to faith and love it's worth nothing knowledge is not power faith is power we get this showdown of you know, intelligence of you know, the spiritual darkness of Athens and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus and the power that was contained in his just simple paragraph of proclamation. You know, like we've said, like, you've heard that knowledge is power. But I would pose to you this morning again that all of the knowledge in the world is Stupid and idiotic compared to the faith in the creator of the universe and everything in it, the creator himself. Unless your knowledge is based in truth and in him, it's idiocy. It's useless. It's like bathwater to be thrown out. Faith is power. Yahweh is eternal. His ways are unsearchable. He is deep and far beyond our comprehension, but he is also near. He is approachable. He is comprehensible, though with beyond comprehension. And he invites us to search him, to search, not just search for him, but come to him and search into him so that we can learn more because we'll never learn everything about our God. We'll never learn everything about the infinite beauty and passion of our Lord because he gives us revelation. He said, you will seek me and you will find me. What? When you seek me with all of your heart. And he has said that we can become like him by becoming more like his son, Jesus Christ. And in the way that we think and in the ways that we live this life. So let's look at Paul. What's going on here? Paul arrives in Athens. So you can do like a quick, you know, internet search and like pull up all sorts of different kinds of pictures of Athens and different pagan temples there and this and everything. Does anyone remember the, uh, um, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Yanni. Anyone ever listen to Yanni? Anyone? Raised in high and proud. Yes. Yes. My dad listened to My mom listened to him too. Yes. <laughs> Pianist, yeah. Greek guy, long, flowing, black hair with a giant, gorgeous black mustache that I was super envious of. And he, he, remember the thing that got me addicted? Well, hey, it's the drums. But uh, his drum was incredible. But they played live at the Acropolis, which is this massive theater that's beautifully preserved right underneath the Parthenon in Athens. And so that's a beautiful just Google that like you know yawning live at the Acropolis and it's got beautiful pictures of the Acropolis and the Pan, and the and the, the Parthenon, um, super cool. But so uh, Athens itself is where they, they where Paul eventually ends up as we see, saw last week. That Paul left Berea and you know kind of in, in, a, in a in the middle of the night, kind of fleeing for his life because the Judaizers had found out about him. And uh, the Jewish, you know, the jealous Jews had found out about him again. So they loaded him up on a boat, went down the river, and this was coming down the Aegean Sea. And what does he see on his way by? On the several days' journey it would have taken to get to Athens, it was like going from like, if there was no Mexico, going from like California down to over to Texas. You know, it was a bit long, pretty long journey. Oh, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, maybe not that far, but, um, but basically, we see that he's passing down and they're kind of hugging the coast, coming down the Aegean Sea and they pass right by Mount Olympus where the gods live. Where Zeus and all those guys, where they live. And they make it here now to Athens. So Athens it is the center of Greek culture, religion, philosophy, everything. It's the very core incident. I mean, that we're talking about the whole Roman and Greek empire it's all around the, the, the Mediterranean. And this is the center of their culture. This is the center of their religion. Even the Romans, because the Romans basically just like mimicked the Greeks and changed their names. And so we have this, it's not, it's, it's a, it's, it's not a very big city. It's only about 50,000 people compared to like even Thessalonica that had about 200,000 people. Uh, but this is not the largest city, but it's a free Greek city. And not a Roman colony; they had their own system of government, their own coinage, their own faith. They spoke Greek; they didn't have to speak Latin like the Romans did. Um, and so they—they they, this was like everyone that was there, like it said in our passage—just um, loved just talking and philosophizing and religifying. And uh, if you were there, you were there, and you, you believed in the cults that were there. And this was—it um, was a strong, strong spiritual stronghold. Um, because not only was it the, um, the center of Greek culture and religion, but as we've been studying, this was the, the seat of several strong principalities and powers uh, in the city. Why? Because A, they were just south of Mount Olympus, where they believed was the home of the gods. And so they not only had a few, like every other city had like an altar to Zeus or an altar to Apollo or an altar to Artemis or something like that. They had altars and temples to all of the 12 major ones. We're talking like the big ones, Zeus, Poseidon, Hermes, Hera, Hades, Dionysus, Demeter, Apollo, Ares, Artemis, Athena, Aphrodite. But the main temple, the, the Parthenon up on top, which is still there today, it's what you know. It's lit up on the top of the hill. Everyone's like, "Oh, the beautiful building, Parthenon." It was the was um, was the main temple, and, there, and it housed their patron, the patron goddess of Athens. Can anyone guess it? Athena, right? Which is who we see on our little note sheet here. So this is actually a reconstruction in Nashville. So. If you can probably recognize the pictures and recognize you being being from Nashville, so that is a rec- reconstructed statue of Athena. Where's Nashville? What is Nashville up to these days? How's how's it going? <laughs> yeah. yep. Reconstructing a pagan goddess. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, but and so we have the this this temple, this massive temple. And actually, it was changed into a Catholic church much later, uh, and of course, then they transitioned over to worship Mary. Same thing, but you know, different story. But, but as this was the 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 center of the Greek religion and philosophy, there were shrines not just to the big 12s, but little shrines everywhere. They'd have like a little you know water fountain, and there'd be a little little deity statue, little idol back in there, right? Um, and so everywhere, all around there they would have all these different altars and shrines and stuff like that, different buildings and halls, porticos, such uh, were designed for the teaching of the gods and the different philosophies around the the pagan deities or around the Greek culture, like the, as we see in our passage this morning, the Epicureans and the the Stoics. Uh, So this would be like, if you went to Seattle, it's very philosophical, very worldly minded. Um, everyone kind of has an opinion, has, a, has a, an ideology. They get together and they talk about these things at coffee shops. It's just like a cultural hub for philosophy. Uh, or places like the Ivy League schools over in the up in the Northeast. Like very heady, very intellectual. I mean, Seattle is actually known as one of the most affluent uh, cities in the, in the country. They're very learned. Most people have a master's or higher in the city. Um, specifically in places like uh, like Bellevue and places like West Seattle, uh, where there used to be hippies, but now they're yuppies. But uh, just very, very highly intellectual people, especially like Capitol Hill. And so this is the kind of place we're looking at. Very intellectual, very smart, very, but they always like to think. And so there's a, the, the two main philosophies of Athens are the Epicureans and the Stoics. So let's look at the Epicureans. So they follow the teachings of a guy named... Epicurus. Makes sense. An ancient Greek philosopher from the 3rd century BC and he taught radical materialism. He's like live and enjoy life. Drink it all up, baby. Go and buy and sell and just do whatever you want. Do as you feel. Do what makes you happy. Hmm. Have it your way. Because you deserve it. Ooh. Because you're worth it. Oh, hearing it today a little bit, a little bit. But they—they're the materialistic gain, this living for pleasure, um, and looking at you know, and looking things that all things that like are pain and suffering and superstitions. All those things should be you know, kind of avoided. Um, by but by pursuing your pleasures, so you drown out the pain and suffering of life by just indulging in your pleasures your mom just died, go to the temple and go with, hang out with the prostitutes. Make yourself feel better. This was the life of the, of the pagans. Not so much different these days, is it? No. Our, our, our brothels are just the, uh, in the internet. But he denied an afterlife, so they didn't believe in life after death, uh, like, like the Romans. Though they did recognize the gods... He didn't believe that they had, like, any interest or concern for humanity. So this would be like kind of philosophies today, which is kind of an American Western ideology that's known as moralistic therapeutic deism. I should be good, live a, a good life with good with good morals that I choose, therapeutic to make myself feel better. So life is about making feeling good. Life is about being happy. And if there is a God... He might be out there, and I might only address him when I, if, I, if and when I need him. But otherwise, he's not really involved. That is actually, uh, uh, statisticians and sociologists have actually said, opposed you know, that this is the culture of America. It's this moralistic, therapeutic deism, is their view of faith. And even, especially, a huge uh, majority of teenagers coming out of youth groups in our American church. God wants me to be good. God wants me to feel good and he he's not really, doesn't really exist in my life unless I want him to be. Mm. That's exactly the way that they treated their gods in Athens. Then we got the Stoics. This one might hit a little bit more nerves. <clears throat> a passive determination of emotional indifference that elevates the virtue of self-control. I'm going to show no emotion. I'm going to be steady Eddy. No one's going to know if I'm happy, sad, mad, whatever. My face is not going to show anything. I'm going to live with a poker face. I dare you to, you know, see how I'm feeling. (laughs) RBF. Mm -hmm. But this, you know, they, by overcoming and controlling human emotions, one can have inner peace. These Greek Stoics believe that humans can only reach their full potential when they live by sheer reason and their principles, or the spark of the, div- of the divine, aka the will of the gods, because they also followed the will of the gods, but they're like, whatever the will of the gods is, it's going to happen, whatever. I don't care. Like, I'm just going to go with it. It's their will. I have no power over it. Whatever. You know, I challenge you to think how I'm feeling. <laughs> I t- I'm terrible at it. But it's interesting that they call the will of the gods the Logos, which is the name for Jesus, the Logos, the Logos, as some people pronounce it, the Logos. They call that the will of the gods. And yet John in his, his gospel says that Jesus is the Logos. These great you know, scholars then, now, begin to mock our boy, our boy Paul, by basically basically calling him an idiot, is what they call him. They call him a uh, it's interesting a spermologus. <laughs> a spermalogus. <laughs> uh, it's a, it, it this basically kind of it's like a it's like a bird going you know and kind of pouncing everywhere and like picking up little seeds. It's like it's it's a seed pecker, um, a seed picker or a a babbler, one who uh, picks up scraps of knowledge. Basically, like he's talking about in the courts or in the the culture in the areopagus like he's just kind of going around to different places like picking up little bits of knowledge here and there to sound smart so he's actually, he's really an idiot but he's just kind of quoting from smart people it's kind of what they're calling him they're like you're an idiot that's quoting from smart people and others are like no no he's talking he's talking about a different god he's talking about a new foreign god let's hear, let's hear a bit let's hear it hear about it so we might call this, per, you know, so like I said, someone who cherry-picks quotes or little bits of information here and there and causes strife and confusion among people in an effort to appear knowledgeable and informed. The term was also used to refer to people who hung out in the Agora, to sound smart, like I said. Others accused him of preaching this new God. So let's look at that. Why? Because they was preaching about the resurrection and Jesus. Okay, well, what'd they do? They're like, all right, let's, let's let the professionals hang, handle this. Let's let, let's, let, let's let this council figure this stuff out here. So they took him to the Areopagus. Um, and the Areopagus, so Ares was the Greek god of war. And the, the second word actually just stands for hill. So this is Mars Hill. That's why this is oftentimes quoted as Mars Hill. That's why churches name themselves Mars Hill. Especially like Mars Hill in Seattle, that was... In this like intellectual center, and so they were like, "We're the church in, on Mars Hill basically is, what we're, is who we are and so and so that's what it's... so this is Ares, the god of war, and Mars is the Roman version so the Areopagus was this council uh, who made the decisions on moral and religious matters um, and actually you can see the see the hill so if you'll turn your sheet over I give you an extra little bit of little extra little bit of something something on the back there so if you look at the letter c right there so the pantheon is the hill that you see right in front of you and then there's a valley and then there's another hill where c is and c is the areopagus so it's actually a hill it's another one of the hills like the parthenon but across the way and so that's so it's actually a physical location so you can see the see that in your map there on your page um, so we're talking about a very, a very strong spiritual entity here. the The stronghold of Aries of Mars has a stronghold, a strong hold on the city of Athens, especially when it comes to their mind and their and their their knowledge. However, here, here's the thing. Who is watching here? God's watching. Yahweh. Jesus is watching from his throne. Who else is watching? <laughs> All the other gods who are there. They're like, what's this guy doing? How are we going to manipulate, manipulate and control our people to make sure that this guy doesn't get a foothold here? Because this is our territory. So, again, like they don't put him on trial. He's, he's not like before a judge and jury and executioner. They just sit, tell us what you said. Like I said, the Athenians love hearing you know new stuff, so they're eager to hear what Paul has to say. And they give him a platform at hell's gate to proclaim the gospel. Smart move, but also a bad move. Good move for us, bad move for them. But he gets up and after here's the thing, he's been he's been not just like walking around glancing, he's been researching. He's been looking, he's been studying, he's been delving into, learning what he can. He's not just walking around going, ooh, pretty statue, ooh, pretty architecture. Because we can you imagine Athens in its in its heyday. How beautiful the buildings would be, and like how incredible, like the architecture and the roads and the streets. If you have learned anything about Greek and Roman culture, you know that they're incredible masons, master masons. Man, they can build some stuff. It's still there today. It's still there, standing there thousands of years later because they put in the hard work to make sure that it was beautiful and excellent. But Paul is walking around and he's researching. And so that's, that's another, another clue is like we don't, if we're doing like spiritual warfare and doing prayer assignments, we don't just like go in blind. We research, research about the area, research about, research about what you feel God is leading you to pray for so that you can get all the understanding you can about that so that you can pray into it as much as you can. So you know everything you need to pray into about that. So Paul is here and he's researching, he's praying, he's learning, he's observing and and he responds to the idolatry of the town very succinctly and powerful. And we'll, and we'll get to his message here in a minute, but here's the question. How do they respond? How do they respond? I mean, Paul's gospel convinces some of them to respond in faith. Even so, like one of the Areopagus, one of these chief main council members that is in charge of the spiritual culture, of Athens and, and, and also that trickles down into the culture of the Greek Empire Greek and Roman culture and Greek and Roman Empire that far reaches into the far reaches the, of the the Mediterranean and the known world one of those guys comes to believe in Jesus Dionysus but how do the majority respond rejected hmm but we see something a little different here. You notice what you don't what you don't hear right now? Even now. You don't hear the jealous Jews coming in with rage and their forks and pitchforks and gonna tar and feather Paul and send him out of town on a rail. You don't hear the rage. There's no riot like in Philippi and Thessalonica and then Berea silence they respond with mockery they respond with belittling Paul and his little gospel his little unknown God oh we have Zeus we have Poseidon Apollo who are you and your little unknown God it's like, well, actually, mine's the one that created the world and everything in it. You know, he created your little puny god, as, as Hulk would say, <laughs> puny god. But here, I almost kind of imagine that, like, Paul would have rather been persecuted. I would see him rather being spit on, beaten, run out of town on the rails, tarred and feathered, kick off the riot, guys, let's go at least then he would have had a reward for his suffering but with these guys and this is a, str- a strategy of the territory of spirit the god of war you wouldn't expect this of the god of war but if we've learned anything from the book the art of war you don't always respond with violence so this guy fought against paul by not even acknowledging him by letting him pass quietly out of athens Paul and more specifically Jesus Christ was being mocked and laughed at, and effectively, as, as, as my commentary was saying, effectively neutralized by sophisticated intellectuals. Effectively neutralized by sophisticated intellectuals, and man does not that not sound like the persecution in the American church? They don't tar and feather us. They don't like, cut us up with machetes and throw acid in our face. They don't behead us in, in the public square. What do they do? They ridicule us in the public square. They neuter us in the public square. They belittle us and our little puny Jesus, this self-help that's failed culture and society because it was treated like a self-help. Versus the worship of the Creator God of the universe, and humbling ourselves before Him and following Him, not just seeing Him as like a little something, little trinket we can add to our lives, like the, these pagan Areopagus treated the little gods. They would add a little bit of each god to their life and see, try to benefit them, themselves. When people treat Yahweh like they treated the Greek pantheon, they miss the God of the universe. They don't grasp his power and his beauty and his glory. So instead, now we have a church in, in, in 21st century America that has been effectively neutralized by sophisticated intellectuals. Sometimes we have to look at the gospel as a gospel of rejection. I wouldn't say not, sometimes, I'm, this is the gospel. <laughs> this is the essence of the beginning of the gospel. Is a gospel of rejection? Not that you've been rejected, because the question that we have to ask in this conversation here, as we think about our own faith here, with with Paul, and us, and our faith, like, is our God weak? No. Is, like in with Paul, like, well, God could have like called down miracles and like shook the building and stuff like that. Like He does other places. Why not hear God? Why didn't you like? blow their minds with like some amazing miracle or at least just like collapse the temple and kill them all. <laughs> Why God didn't you show your power? Is our God weak? How could Yahweh just sit there and watch Paul and the message about Jesus be treated with such dishonor and disrespect? Because that's the same question I feel like I'm asking these days. It's like God, how can you look at the church trying to proclaim the gospel and it be treated with such dishonor and disrespect that's due your name? You, you deserve all honor and all glory and all praise. And then I remember ah, I remember his message. Our God is a gentleman, He likes to show Himself to be good and powerful over darkness through love and blessing he invites people into joy he would much rather heal a paralytic than collapse a building he would much rather heal you of emotional trauma than cause fire to fall from the skies that's how our God is He invites people to love him. He invites people to worship him through acts of benevolence and blessing. He prefers to show himself through power and healing, not dominance and oppression over the darkness of this world. However, like I said, as Paul points out, the word that came to my mind was, oh, because he's patient. Verse 31. This is only temporary. He has set a day where the gloves come off. Look look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, Because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man who he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. So the gospel is an invitation to rejection. It's an invitation for Jesus. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is inviting us to repent, renounce, reject all of our former allegiances with any and all things in our past that were killing us, that were stealing our joy and keeping us in a life going nowhere and dead in our trespasses and sins. He's calling us to reject it all. I mean, the word repent, I mean, like like we talked about, but I'm going to bring some people in who may not remember this. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, which metanoia means to change. Noieo means your mind. Simple, change your mind. And what that change of mind leads to is agreement with God. It's disconnecting, rejecting the way that you used to think about the world, agreeing with God and changing your mind to come into alignment or agreement, which the Bible, the Greek word for that is symphoneo, to come into symphony with God. Reject the old thinking, reject the ways of the world, change your mind, metanoia, repent, and agree with God. Come into symphony with Yahweh. Come into symphony with the, with the God of the universe. And trust the one and worship the one who raised Jesus from the dead. What was what was this gospel? What was Paul saying to the Stoics? Paul was saying to the Stoics, change your mind from this pleasure of life to experience God's full joy. What what was he saying to the Epicureans? Change your mind from the pleasures in the self, serve others deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Serve others and experience true love. And what would he be saying to the Areopagus here? Change your minds from these idols. If you created them, they're really not that powerful. Well, they really just created their their home, a little object. Again, I say, beauty God. Change your mind from worshiping the idols. Turn from the idols. Try, stop, you know, turn away from, reject, trying to please these lesser principalities and powers who don't care about you. All they care about is your sacrifices and your worship, worship of them. They don't actually care about you. And entrust yourself to the God who loved you first. First entrust yourself to the God who came to you. A God who you don't have to continuously try to come and offer offering, give, give offerings to. Who is you? Know, someone who's indifferent about you. Where you can, you have? it's like where you have to like earn this affection and attention and maybe receive blessings like if he feels like it that day. Come to the God who loved you first. Come to the God who gives to you life, breath, everything he doesn't need you to serve him he needs you to love him and and when you love him you live the way he does and you and you he empowers you to live the life that he desires for you to live serving others and again it's not that god doesn't want to be served this is that he doesn't need to be like he doesn't need anything he doesn't need food he doesn't need flowers he made the flowers. It's, it's like uh, mom and dad are like, you know, making breakfast in the kitchen and they make all this gourmet beautiful meal and then they put it on these plates and then go back into bed and little Hazel comes and grabs the tray and brings it into the room and sets it on the bed. See? Here you go. I know you made it, but, it, but it's, here, it's yours. That's the way that we respond to our God. God made the world and everything in it. And we just give it back to him with a big smile on our face. Because the gospel is also a gospel of resurrection. Jesus is inviting us into a faith and a life that is so much better than the poop, than the world, than the worldly thinking, than the culture, than the modern Epicureans of our day or the modern Stoics of our day. Or the modern idolaters and new age and occultists. We don't need that garbage. We don't need to benefit from, from any of their wisdoms. We've got our own. God has his own. Better than these things. Jesus is the true way. The true truth. And the true life. And his ways are true joy and true pleasure. Our faith is not boring. I remember as a kid going, yeah, I can't do this, I can't do that. Man, our faith is boring. Our faith is not boring unless you make it so. Unless you make it about religious legalism unless you make it about morality and moralism, trying to act right and get yourself right. I don't always go to the Southern accent on that. <laughs> I lived in Texas for a while. <laughs> and it's so much better than trying to live a, a, a faith of like human traditions Verses like, who is Jesus? I want you, Jesus. I want you, Lord. I want your spirit. I want to live and walk by you. I want to walk by the spirit. Our faith is meant to be a daily celebration of life by enjoying our God and for enjoying our God together. Hence the church. Joys, pleasures, you reveal the the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. And then I want us to get another glimpse. I I always use this verse, but I love this verse. And I I want to read it again to you to remind you and encourage you again this morning. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work, now working in the disobedient. We too all previously walked lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, but God, God. I love making much of those two words. I love it, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. Let said say that again. Made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, that's life, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in, we should do. Our faith is powerful when it's placed in the right God. We have to make sure that our faith is in the right God. Not in ourselves. In Yahweh, in Jesus Christ. And what is the power of faith? As our main point says, these these four things I want to kind of highlight. Number one, it has the power to forgive sins because only Christ, only God can forgive sins. Only our God has the the ability and the power to forgive sins. You can't forgive your own sins. Only God can do that. That's why we run to Him. We have our faith in Him, our faithfulness, our allegiance is to Him. Number two, we receive His very His very Spirit. We receive the very power and the presence of Yahweh, Lord God Almighty in and upon us through us with us this is what the Hebrews called the Shekinah glory we can become a little Ark of the Covenant walking around this earth carrying the glory of God with us and in us and through us and everywhere you step everywhere you are that is holy ground because you are a saint which remember reminder Hagiu, Hagiu, hagiazo means holy one. You are a holy one of God. Amen. Because of what? Number two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number two, number three, we are made alive. We are spiritually woken up, not just woken up from asleep, but woken up from death, and not like little little spiritual zombies stop looking at your life like a spiritual zombie that you, that you belong to be dead but you're like somehow animated you are alive because Jesus Christ and number four glory seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms seated with Christ seated with him in the heavenly realms we are with him we are for him he is with us he is for us we are his holy people Do we still do stupid things? Yes. Yes. Right? Right? But what does God call us to do? Again, to repent, change our minds, agree with him, stop agreeing over here, agree over here, because Romans 8, what? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The thing that gets Christians so hung up and living a life where they feel like they still have to be down in the dumps and that they deserve to be down in the dumps is because they forget this fact. They forget that there's no more condemnation. They think every time that they sin that they have to condemn themselves. No. Or they have to put themselves under God's condemnation to receive his forgiveness again. Versus leaning into the forgiveness already paid 2,000 years ago and saying, thank you, God. Amen. Thank you that you have forgiven my sins and closed me from all unrighteousness that you've given me the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you've made me alive. And oh yeah, now I remember that I'm seated with Christ in the the heavenly realms. Like, oh yeah, that's where I'm really at. That's where my my soul really belongs. That's where where my mind is. I have the mind of Christ. So thank you that I don't have to live and walk in condemnation, never feeling good enough for my own God. Thank you, God, that you have said I am enough by sending your son Jesus Christ to be enough to make me enough because knowledge is not power intellect knowledge you know we can study the Bible and do study the Bible if you know me you, you know I'm a nerd I love the Bible I preach from the Bible this is our authority in the church but we cannot get distracted from the God of the Bible by studying the Bible I think that's where a lot of Christians get kind of is kind of get you know tripped up. They stumble over the Bible trying to get to God. Or they stumble over to God trying to get to the Bible. They're like, give me the Bible, give me the Bible, but then they forget the, the to pursue the God of the Bible. To use this and to see God in it. Because our faith in God is where the power resides, not in what we know about him. It's like studying a a manual for a heater. I know, I know this heater left and right, up and down, and I know how to turn it on. And until you plug it in and turn it on, it ain't gonna do much for you. It takes engaging your faith, engaging the knowledge that you have now. Know it's great. You know everything about this heater. Wonderful. You know how to troubleshoot it if it's not working. Perfect. Cool. Turn it on. Plug it in. Then you'll be able to feel its warmth. And experience and encounter the purpose of the manual. Faith is power. Trust God in our lives. Remember that we remember who you are, remember where you are, and walk by His His Spirit. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let him bless you. Walk with him in the good and the bad, in the, in the joyous and in the suffering. And in both you will find rest for, your, for our weary souls in this world. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your word. And God, thank you so much for the testimony of our brother Paul as you stood before this council and uh, spoke boldly And Lord, I pray that you would not let us be afraid of being mocked, of being belittled, of being thought less of by proclaiming the gospel to our friends and family and coworkers and the people that we know. The only way that they're going to hear it is the same way that Paul let the Areopagus hear is by preaching it, by telling, by speaking. Do not let us be afraid of being neutered in this world about the gospel being silenced by mockery but Lord give us boldness give us courage to walk in faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and bless us God as we respond and take communion here this morning be with us as we discuss this time this morning